1: Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kenneth Saldana and Paul Mang. Kenneth is a Senior Managing Director and Head of Insurance at Accenture. Paul is the Chief Innovation Officer at Guidewire. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks guys. It's an absolute pleasure to have you both joining us on the show today. Slightly different episode from from usual. So it's going to be great to get your insights on the insurance industry, what's happening out there in technology, and also very specifically in the world of talent as well. So it'd be great to find out further from you both on those points. Before we start though, would you mind giving our listeners, would you both mind giving our listeners a bit of a insight into your backgrounds and your career journeys and what's led you to where you are in your respective businesses. Kenneth, do you mind if we start off with you on that front?
2: Sure. So Nick, I've been a, a lifelong uh, consultant to the insurance industry. I, I actually started off with a bit of an academic background. Uh, I did a, a PhD in mathematics at the University of Chicago, but went from there into directly to the consulting world. And I've spent uh, at this point, I guess, almost 23 years now in consulting across McKinsey and Accenture as well. I went into consulting with no particular focus in any sector, but uh, found myself early in my career on an insurance engagement. Loved it and never left. And so uh, I've spent, you know, uh, outside of the first, I think, seven months of my consulting career, the rest of it, in, uh, in insurance and stepped into the global consult- uh, leadership role for the uh, insurance business at Accenture in 2020.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kenneth. That's, that's great. And Paul, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about your background as well.
0: I'd be happy to. And there's some overlap here with with Kenneth's. Uh, We've known each other for quite a bit of time, but actually I'm from Chicago. I also got my doctorate. It was in economics though. And I started my career in academics. I taught at the University of Texas in Austin at the business school. I taught strategy. But after a few years, four and a half years, um, decided I would try consulting and uh, spent 14 years then at McKinsey. And like Kenneth, didn't start with an intention I didn't intend to stay that long, and I didn't start with insurance as a focus, but it it happened early on, and I've appreciated all the things, and we'll get into some of the reasons why, but all the things that were part of being part of the insurance practice. Since then, I was the global CEO of analytics for Aon, and uh, uh, three and a half years ago came to Guidewire, and I'm in my role now chief innovation officer there.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much. Clearly some similarities there in terms of your career path. And it's great to see that once you both did join the insurance industry, albeit from a from a consulting perspective, that you've not looked back. On that note, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, and it'd be great to find out what coffee gets you guys going in the morning.
0: You know, in the morning, I'd like something quick. So I usually I will almost always start with uh, with an espresso and it will be something very early on. It gets me started. If I have more time, I'm able to go somewhere near our place. We live in the northern suburbs of Chicago. There's a a new shop that opened up called Town & Oak. I don't know if any of your listeners are from Chicago, but it's one of these not overly fashionable coffee places, but just enough. It's got some personality and some friendly people there. So that's what would do it for me.
1: Sounds good, Paul. And Kenneth?
0: Well, Nick,
2: it is the insurance coffee house. So you know, I have I have my frequency and I have my severity coffee. So the severity <laughs> coffee, like Paul, I stay with. I guess the visual visual evidence of my Nespresso pod on occasion. But I do admit uh, a, a weakness for uh, an instant coffee called Brew, which is actually yeah. something I grew up in in India. So it's uh, probably a, a pretty niche uh, instant coffee, but still my go-to.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I know Kenneth. Well, Kenneth and Paul, you're you're both normally based in the U.S., but Paul, John- us from, from the UK today, having just flown in this afternoon. So I'm sure you'll need a, a, a shot of coffee at, at some stage this afternoon to keep you going. Guys, if we could start off, I'd like to find out a little bit more about how you broke into your your C-suite positions into your senior leadership positions and how you found that transition from your previous roles, which may have been more customer-facing, maybe being more on the technical side of things. Do you, How do you find that transition from your previous role? Ken, if I could start with you, that'd be great.
2: Sure, Dick. You know, I, I think of I think of this as, um, I don't know if I would say it was much of a break-in as more of just a series of transitions. And I, I always joke that I've been on the... Uh, the world's longest transition journey from you know pure theory and and you know mathematics PhD to actually from there to a business career as a strategy consultant, then in strategy and delivery and now as a strategy and delivery business unit leader, uh, you know for Accenture, right? So, but it's it's been for me a very smooth series of transitions. Specifically, in terms of stepping into the insurance leadership role at Accenture, I, I made the I, I stepped into this role on March first, 2020. So I've had the unique position of being the global head of insurance without having done much global work uh, outside of my my office home office for for two and a half years. What it came from, very specifically though, was at the time Julie Sweet took over as CEO of Accenture in 2019, and one of the parts of her strategy was a real focusing in on how we deepen the industry context within which we deliver services. So there was an elevation of the sector leadership roles. Um, Accenture organizes itself around 19 different industry sectors, insurance being one of them. And so that was the actual precipitating event uh, had me step into the uh, the sector leadership role at Accenture.
1: Thanks, Kenneth. It's great to see that often often can be a, a nice, smooth transition there as you building up your experience along that career path. Paul, what what was the story for you, Paul?
0: For me, I I think of it as you know two phases of a career that I don't I don't believe it's that unusual that for many people you start and as you alluded to, I started in a customer facing client relationship role, and at some point you get Experience in that you may get even good at that, and if you build up at least a sense of uh, familiarity, and you, it becomes a reliable part of what you do. I think the sense of reliability. Sometimes you, know, you might hear people refer to, you know, you're in a safe pair of hands. You're in, you're in good shape if this person's on a particular engagement or some activity. And at that point, if you then add on any interest and willingness to learn about just working with other people's careers, you know, building out you know, some element of coaching and some element of that, that adds another dimension. And then I think it becomes a, a fairly natural place to get into a leadership role. I think you have to have both. You, you can't have just one or the other and striking the right balance is is, is the challenge. It's the managerial challenge for, for really anybody. And so it happened over time. I I hadn't, you know, it fo- I was uh, focused, focused on the the initial delivery, and and if you become a perfectionist in it, it's hard to make that that transfer. But once you broaden the scope, I think with enough um, experience and time and a little bit of luck, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And so that's my story of of kind of slowly building to that, but having an interest in you know other people's careers, and that's I think part of the the balancing
1: act. I think that interest is very important, Paul. I think clearly you get you get to an inflection at a point in your career where you are an expert in your field and to make that next step, you're almost stepping back slightly in your expertise to then carry on moving forward. And that's certainly not for everybody. And uh, having that interest in other people's careers and being able to lead teams is obviously very, very important aspect of that. Paul, could you give me a little bit of an overview of Guidewire and the the part it plays in the broader insurance industry as a whole?
0: Happy to do that. Guidewire started, it's uh, 20 years old now and started with an intention to build an operational platform, a core systems platform. In some ways, it was quite an audacious objective to do that within the property and casualty uh, segment. But it has successfully done that. It's been two decades. And I think Guidewire's role in the broader industry and in the broader ecosystem is to provide a platform. That word is used a lot in different contexts, but I think there is a, a good case to be made that a core processing system is a platform. Lots of things hook onto it. It's a it's an integral part of the operations of any manufacturer, insurance manufacturer. And so that's Guide. Sidewire's role, I spent a lot of time, though, on one of the new set of capabilities in the analytics area. And I see the analytics component now being part of the ecosystem as a uh, as an opportunity to invest in some new technology, some new capabilities in an efficient way. It may be challenging for any one participant, no matter how large. There's some benefits of scale and, and breadth That comes from experimenting and trying new things. I see Guidewire's role in the ecosystem, not necessarily changing, but evolving to one where new technologies, new analytics solutions are being invested in on behalf of the whole sector Mm -hmm. and uh, still part of the platform story. But it's evolving in in some ways that it's it's involvement in the industry because the industry is moving in that direction. And it's not just enough. To just have an efficient system of record. More, there's going to be, there needs to be more to it than that. I'm sure we're going to get into some of that on this, uh, in this discussion. But that's GuideWire's role well. for 20 years. It's, it's played a, an operational platform technology role. Uh, and as the industry changes, GuideWire is, is I hope leading the charge, but at least uh, supporting those sorts of changes.
1: Yeah, and it's certainly evolving as the as the industry evolves. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, same same question to you there, Kenneth, in your in your role there at Accenture in the insurance team.
2: So, um, you know, Nick, for for Accenture um, Insurance, as I mentioned, is one of our nineteen uh, different sectors, and for us, it's uh, we are at this point, I believe, the largest professional services organization in insurance. We've got about twenty five thousand professionals ar- across Accenture who work. You know, with insurance organizations, right, and so it's a, it's an important part of what we do at Accenture as our overall as a professional services firm. Within insurance, we really work across um, many different segments of the of the industry. You know we we do work across strategy, consulting, technology, operations, our, our interactive and digital work. And we really bring that to bear across the uh, the carrier space, the broker space, private equity equity firms that are taking such an active role in insurance. We work a lot with the industry platforms like Guidewire, and you know where as Paul was mentioning, a critical part of how, um, innovation and, and capabilities built in the industry. We're also doing quite a bit of work with how some of the newer technologies, like all of the cloud-based hyperscalers, um, even now, as you think about what's in that continuum from hybrid to uh, remote to the metaverse type solutions, right? So it's a very broad reach across uh, the different aspects of the industry. And you know, if you think about kind of uh, topics we, we, we do a lot of work on, it's what you would expect across the board, right? We do a lot of work with new business launch and... And, and revenue growth. We do our fair share of how do we reconfigure operating models and change cost profiles in the organization. And where you know, Paul and I hope to, uh, to spend more time together is around how do we innovate in the industry? Because it is an industry that has an incredibly strong and powerful history, but one that also requires some innovation, we think. So it's a, it's a very broad reach. And part of what we actually um, really wanted to do with the sectors and what I've Really want to drive within the insurance sector with Accenture is the ability to take that extremely broad reach, but bring it all to bear very well contextualized in the insurance setting.
1: Mm. Yeah, thank you, Kenneth. I think it's going to be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on the way that the industry is moving because you're clearly sort of right at the the forefront there with all the different businesses and organizations that you're working with. Paul, though, before we get onto that, though, Paul, would you mind explaining or sharing with our listeners a little bit more about GuideWire's technology, how you're using technology there to really meet and exceed the expectations of your customers within the insurance industry?
0: There's always a a bit of a discussion around when we use the term customer or client in insurance, those that work with the insurers could either be thinking about them, or maybe should be thinking about them, sometimes the intermediary, the agent, and then there's the insured. And so, at least from my perspective, when you say how we can bring technology to change the, to respond to the changing expectations of Customers, I, I think about it from the insureds, those that actually need some sort of risk transfer solution. And I think Guidewire is right in the middle of several things, trends that are happening. So one trend is there's the expectation that there's mass, some version of mass customization. You know, I, I don't need something completely bespoke, but I have specific set of needs, and so. At scale, could I have something that's a bit tailored for me? That kind of expectation. Consumer product companies are trying to do this where you still have the cost efficiency of something at scale, but there's enough tailored that a customer believes that it's it's suited for them. And that's an overarching expectation across lots of sectors. Now, from insurance, I think the way you can deliver that is an, an agile technology platform that allows you to break the traditional paradigm of scale gives you efficiency. And so you could, like Henry Ford said, you know he could build lots of cars cheaply, but they all came, they all had to be black and they all had to look exactly the same. The new cloud-based systems allow you to break that paradigm. And maybe for the first time in, in the PNC industry, history we could have tailored products that in the past would have been subscale and would have been too costly to bring to market but with a technology base that has all of the flexibility and the agility of a cloud a cloud system that has that kind of flexibility and agility we can address this need for mass customization and that's a big part of what guidewire is focused on now uh, there's a second there's a second need for customers in the insurance space and that's there are unusual emerging risks. Kenneth just talked about, we're just coming out of this pandemic. Now, there have been pandemics before, but the kind of tight supply chains and the kind of travel we have now, it's got a very different implication. And so we've got that risk. So you could be a small business owner and suddenly affected by some disease that's happening around the globe or what's happening on the cyber side. These are new and emerging risks, and, and we don't know what the impact will be on from 3D printing, and different kinds of business models that have all sorts of different, the sharing economy. Well, one of the demands, the expectations of customers of risk transfer is, can you help me sort out and live with these kinds of risks? The traditional way we do that as a sector relies on some tried and true methods. But the thing that we're focused on at Guidewire is to look at new, non-traditional data elements that help us assess what we call the, the behavioral data that help you assess risks that are fairly new that are very new that you don't have 100 year of history 100 years of history about something because it's so fast moving we need to rethink how we assess risk not based on traditional data so there's another theme of behavioral data to address emerging risks and the, and the third the third expectation that customers have is um you know, they want to be known. They don't want to be, when you interact with them because of technology, there's some expectation that a provider of a product or service knows something about them. They've already answered some questions. Do they have to ask and answer the questions again? Look, it seems like everyone else knows a lot about me. Why is it that when I'm dealing with this sector, like you started with, can you give me your name and address and what's your roof made out of? And and so the third element is just the technology that helps connect. We in an insurance entity know a lot at the individual level within silos, but it may not have been brought together in a way where we can bring it to bear on a specific decision or interaction. Or someone else knows a lot—the uh, government, because you're filing. Uh, I don't know. There's court documents, or there's things that banks know, and so the world around us as data. And we're all swimming in data. And so there's this expectation that uh, when I'm interacting, now they can't know too much about me because then it starts getting a little creepy. And it, you know, you're know you on the verge of they know a little too much, but striking the right balance where there's the appropriate level of where do know you? And ideally, when Nick, you call up someone to buy insurance, they're like, Nick, we we're expecting you to call us. That may get a little creepy, but we know you just bought this car. You started a new business, and so we know something. And we don't have to treat you uh, in this anonymous way, like we don't know who you are at all. And so that third element of connecting information is something that Guidewire is providing some tools on all three of these trends, so that insurers are able to appropriately respond to changing expectations of the insured.
1: Fantastic, fantastic, Paul. Such a such a great answer, and so interesting to hear how. Guidewire are helping those, particularly those insurance carriers, to really develop the way that they are managing risk and how they are assessing risk as we move into this next period of change within society. So it's really interesting to hear. Kenneth, if I can ask you now to look forward, I don't know if you've got a crystal ball there, but how do you see the insurance industry developing over the next, say, three to five years? And what can insurers or what can insurance or brokers do really to create a competitive advantage during these times?
2: Yeah, Nick, uh, You know, I'm going to reflect a, a lot of the things that Paul mentioned as well, right? We believe are going to be quite important in where we see the industry going. At the headline level, we are fundamentally optimistic about the insurance industry and where it's headed. We do think that there's some shifts required to get the full value from that. But you know, again, uh, I'll say it again, because I think it bears repeating, we're fundamentally optimistic about the insurance sector. It's it's been a very strong growth and steady growth sector. It hasn't been a breakout sector, but it's been a very steady and uh high performing sector in pockets, right? Mm-hmm. There are there are absolutely as a there are absolutely places where carriers have struggled, but we think there's a lot to be said for the foundation on which we can build on, right? If we look down the road, five years down, as you said, you know, what's changing here? I think there are some very fundamental shifts that are occurring as we look at the way in which sensors and real-time data and cloud-based solutions are are, uh, are enabling what we do in insurance, fundamentally, we think we're heading towards a world in which in- insurance increasingly becomes about risk mitigation, not about risk indemnification. It's not about being there when something goes wrong. It's all about helping you prevent something go wrong, right? And so whether we're talking about sensors in cars or we're talking about wearables on health and on, you know, work comp policies and and disability that you help to manage proactively, we do see this very fundamental shift of insurers moving into how do you actually mitigate risk and live a better life as opposed to saying we're here when something goes wrong for you, right? That's an additive statement, but I think a much more powerful and engaging statement to talk about how we help live a better life from a risk mitigation perspective. As Paul was saying, we also think that's going to come with a much higher demand for usage and behavior-based offers. I don't think anyone wants to, you know, hear that they're going to pay the same insurance premium as the person who, you know, drives to work eating a sandwich and applying their makeup, you know, on the way, right? So uh, nor do they want to pay the same price as someone whose car is parked four days a week versus someone who's driving, you know, 50 miles a day in the good old days when people used to go to the office every day. So I think there is going to be an increasing demand for these, you know, usage and behavior based offerings. And, And it's exactly, we very much agree with Paul's view of, you know, the use of data Um, On the one hand, we hear customers and clients very concerned about ethical use of data, but they're also willing to share data if it drives a personalized offer for them, right? So that balance will always be there. But insurers have a real opportunity to say, how do I actually use that risk mitigation lens on a usage and behavioral basis to say, what can I do for you? And what that means is, you know, insurance as as a sector goes from interacting with you when you're buying, renewing, or filing a claim into an ongoing relationship around how we're managing your risk. That's a completely different model. And that's a level of customer engagement and customer interaction that frankly, a lot of people have wanted, but have never been able to deliver, right? So when we look at that and you think about an industry that has an incredibly strong foundation, has a chance to reimagine itself in, in areas that customers are really demanding in market, you know, that's what drives our optimism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you know where we think the the comparative adv- advantage is going to come from you know we believe that if carriers just take the traditional products and the traditional approach they are going to become the source of capital and they're going to be in the low ROE business where they're essentially looked at as you do the risk based underwriting and that's all you do whereas i think we when we look at with carriers who truly will change into we're about, indemnific- we're about mitigation, not indemnification. We're about how we engage with you on an ongoing basis. We're about how we are going to actually reward you for good behaviors and charge you for bad behaviors. But all in all, give you a personalized view of what your risk mitigation can be in your life. I think those carriers are going to pull out in front. Whereas I think that, you know, if you stay with your traditional offer, traditional business model, you're probably going to get called from the industry because you can't sustain being squeezed into smaller and smaller parts of the value chain at lower and lower ROEs.
1: Great. Thanks, Kenneth. And where are we in the market at the moment in in respect to that? Have a lot of insurance carriers started to go down that route, or is there still a lot of organizations who are still looking at that risk transfer mechanism on an event?
2: I think we're seeing some of the the leading carriers absolutely out in market on these, right? Um, Mm. Lots of usage-based offers, lots of behavior-based Telematics-based auto offers. Um, frankly, a lot of what's pushing, I would argue, the property casualty industry forward on this is the health in- industry, and particularly in Europe, we see that convergence of health and uh, you know property casualty insurance really driving an expansion of these you know sensor-driven ongoing engagement, ongoing health and essentially risk management profiles mm. uh, and I'm do- I'm talking both on the consumer side for individuals as well as for organ companies for on the commercial side as they look at their disability and their employee benefits uh, with along with the property casualty business right mm. so mm. i think it's absolutely this is not you know hey 5 years from now we're going to see this this is here and mm. it's happening mm. what's going to happen in the next 5 years is i believe a small cadre of of carriers are going to actually drive this at a a pace that exceeds the competition and at a scale that exceeds the competition, right? It's it's not sufficient to say, you know, yes, we have a usage-based product that, you know, our agents typically don't talk about unless they're asked about it, right? That's not a model that's going to actually bring you up front. I think you have to embrace the change that that people are expecting. And I think that's going to be what the comparative dynamics is all about for the next five years, is who's driving and embracing this kind of shift at pace and scale versus who's getting dragged along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Kenneth. And I know that obviously a lot of the emergence of technology and the insure tech companies are helping those carriers and helping those in- insurance companies make that transition. So if we can now focus on those insure tech businesses, Paul, what are you seeing as the most sort of common barriers for insure techs who are looking to scale their business? What sort of infrastructure do they need to have in place, do you think, in order to scale and achieve that growth that, quite frankly, their, their funders, their investors are demanding?
0: It's been a great injection of enthusiasm and passion and new ideas to have this insurtech ecosystem come up and really play a, a more meaningful role here in the sector. And so I think it's a great a great positive and will will help us uh those of us who are advocates and care about the sector. I think it's a positive. Now in the near term it's a bit the ride is a bit bumpy. It, it is difficult. I think your question alludes to it. so how how could they have the most positive impact? I think one is those that have great new ideas. If, if it's a single point solution, at least to recognize that insurance is a, has a long value chain. So there's a chain within one insurer's four walls, but then they sit within a broader value chain. So you may be a risk-bearing entity, but you're working with a, a broker or agent or someone on the front end, and you're transitioning, you're, you have a reinsurance broker, there's all sorts of things that are happening. And so a great point solution may still need to fit, it will have to fit into a workflow, an ecosystem and some recognition. I think that's much more likely today because you see experienced insurance people now playing a larger role in insure techs, but there was a period where people developed something in their dorm room on their phone and they said, I have a great idea to do this. And it it just didn't reflect the reality of what we do here in the industry. The other challenge is to build something great is often... Perhaps it's challenging, but then to build something that could stay great and be maintained and continue to think about any solution gets older. There's, some things have to happen. So mm-hmm. I think a second challenge is to think about something that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are consumer focused industries, uh, products or fashion where you know, something coming out of the gate, You know we only think about it for a couple of years, but most things in insurance, you introduce it, like Kenneth said, you introduce it into your field. Mm-hmm. You don't want the thing to go stale in, in a year. You want something that has some longevity. And if you're in long tail lines, you really have to think about long periods of time. So I think that second time horizon, second issue about time horizon, and then maybe for even more mature, more established insure tech, I think the way they just, culture and their management style. This is true for all startups, really, is you come out of the gate, you you have uh, entrepreneurs who are kind of doing everything because their scale is small, fitting into an established sector, uh, just thinking about creating systems and some I don't mean technology systems, but some processes, so that uh, you have you, you have empowered teams, and everything can't rely on just this passion of the one person. If you're working within this sector, again, it's there's a lot, of, there's a long and fairly complicated value chain that reflects the idea of risk transfer. I know Kenneth said we're, and I completely believe we will be shifting from I'm just thinking about risk transfer to risk management and mitigation of risks. But that long chain is part of the design of pooling risks and moving capital around the globe, really, to address exposures in any one part of the globe. And so just building a management team, again, it's for maybe more mature, uh, new startups, but just reflecting that, the scale of this industry. So those are some of the challenges, how to bring a great idea. And I know it's maybe a pejorative way to say, but like a dorm-inspired app-based idea, but really bring something that isn't just a flash in the pan, but if it's mm. going to have impact on this industry. You know, there are several things that I think have to happen. And, and those are just a few.
1: Absolutely, Paul. Absolutely. So many parts to it that all need to be in place in order to achieve that that long-term success that you talked about. I mean, we often, when we're working with executives or leaders from the insurance industry who are looking to make that move, into an insure tech we do recommend that they really consider number one the product that they think the product is going to be a successful product and then they can really get behind that product and they really believe in it but also that that company's got the right people in there to lead it to lead the expansion and they've got the systems in place those business systems in order to ensure that it achieves that scale that they talk about because it is and can be a risk for someone to leave you know a global business or a corporate business in the insurance world and move into a smaller organization so these are all things all considerations need to be taken into account and i'm sure as well likewise when, when people are looking to invest guys thank you so much for, for the answers to those questions it's been fantastic we're now on the espresso round now where the questions are a little bit more short sharpened straight to the point so i know you both like your your coffees there so are you ready for the espresso round
2: absolutely
1: Great stuff. Great stuff. The espresso round. Start with you, Kenneth. What is the biggest challenge you see for some of your insurance clients when it comes to attracting new talent in the market?
2: Nick, I I think what we have in the industry is a brand and storytelling problem, right? For two reasons. Um, I think if you look at the nature of work that we do in insurance, we've got something for everyone. You want to do, you know, customer-facing, high-EQ, caring work, you can be in claims. You want to do technology lots of that happening. You want to do, you know, hardcore data and analytics, lots of that happening. The nature of the work, I think, is very compelling. And one of the things that we hear all the time uh, in, in today's market is that people want to work at companies with social purpose and and, mm-hmm. and that they feel good about it. Well, you can't find an industry as a whole that does more to actually secure people's lives and, and livelihood than the insurance sector. Mm-hmm. So I look at this and I say, the issue we have it's a brand and storytelling problem because we've got all the components, but yet we lose out to sectors and places that tell sexier stories.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, particularly around that purpose. I think so many, especially of the younger generation now, they're looking for that real purpose, and they wouldn't necessarily think the insurance industry is going to provide that for them. But but I think you make a fantastic point there, Paul. When it comes to hiring at, at GuideWire, what are some of the qualities and experience that you you value when hiring talent into GuideWire?
0: We, uh, I would. I would uh, look at uh, things that perhaps are common across lots of different organizations, but one is some domain expertise. You have to know something about something relevant, and that's quite valued, whether it's specifically around insurance or uh, something around automotive. In our case, it could be even because we're looking at, at models, it could be geology and some of the core sciences. And so someone very confident with some domain expertise, someone who's comfortable with ambiguity. The industry, in some ways, is very slow moving, but we happen to be at a particular point where lots of things are changing. It's it's an exciting time to be in in the industry right now, and just being comfortable with that um, that sort of ambiguity and changing the dynamics of the industry. And then I, I like Kenneth's point about how the industry overall does serve a social purpose, and you don't have to you don't have to manufacture a story necessarily because that is what what happens, something bad happens, and then something is there to resolve and address some of those losses. And so we would look for people who can, that that resonates with, and they could also expand that and use that as part of their own management approach and highlight it because it could be if you're too focused on the nitty gritty parts of a work plan or a roadmap, you might overlook that and not step back and think about that and, and share that within the, the team. So that sort of culture management, that uh, sensitive sensitivity to that, I think is important and something mm-hmm. we do look for.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Paul. That's great. If I can now touch upon remote working, clearly there's been a huge shift over the last couple of years since the since the start of the pandemic. I think we all know that you know there's always been companies who have operated on a remote basis, but certainly those larger insurance businesses were not geared up for remote working or certainly didn't encourage it. Kenneth, what do you see as some of like the positives and some of the negative impacts of remote working overall? Do you... Do you see it as a positive for the industry or how how do you see that?
2: I do, I do think see it as a positive for the industry, Nick. There is one aspect that I'm very concerned about from a long-term health perspective, but certainly, you know, right now I do see it as a, as a positive with, with some one piece that we have to solve. It's positive because I think when we went through this, this entire, uh, you know, the last two years, you know, we talk about how, you know, transformation got compressed, right. And carriers, And any of the, you know, whether you're talking agents, brokers, carriers, everyone had to go back to sort of basics and say, can we do our work a different way? And I think that's been incredibly healthy for the industry, right? Mm -hmm. The notion of saying, you know, revisiting how we actually sell insurance, revisiting what it means to actually deliver a good customer experience, what it means to actually engage your own employees, Mm -hmm in a way when all of a sudden they're not sitting you know, on your floor with you. I think that degree of sort of compressed transformation, forced compressed transformation, was an incredible kind of catalyst for our industry to start thinking about mm. how to function in very different ways. And I think that's very positive um, because I think what we what we learned very quickly is that we can do it. And that you can actually engage well with the customer in a remote setting. And you can actually work with your team in in a remote setting with all kinds of different tools and technology. So I do think it forced a break from some of our orthodoxies that is very positive. The piece that I, I actually genuinely feel like we have to solve very actively for the long term is insurance is also fundamentally an apprenticeship business. And you learn your skills as an underwriter or as a claims adjuster or as an actuarial you know, through apprenticeship. You start off with you know, simple claims, you're going alongside someone, and then you build your skills onto more complex claims. Same thing in underwriting, et cetera. So I've always viewed insurance as fundamentally an apprenticeship business. To me, that's something we've got to figure out because it is a long-term implication of this new remote world. Now, I don't think it's insurmountable at all, which is why I think in aggregate, we still have a positive change here. But I do think we've got to be quite proactive and be in you know have some very directed intentional efforts of how we actually continue to deliver mentorship and apprenticeship in the industry so that we actually don't lose uh the expertise that you essentially require to build over time in this yeah. in this sector.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a clear concern and with people in different aspects of their career, different stages of their career where they need more face time than other people is a huge thing. In terms of remote working, I think it's interesting to see how it aligns with how technology has, how far technology has come over the last decade or so. It would be very interesting to see how the insurance industry would have responded had this happened, say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, before the advent of video communications and and this type of thing, you know, how would we have survived working from home? I suspect we probably wouldn't have worked from home for such a long period of time. We would have been back in the office a lot quicker, but who knows? Paul, what, what would you say, and this is a very general question about the ins- insurance industry, but I asked this because you made that move into the insurance industry. Clearly, you, there's other sectors that you... That you could have joined. What makes it a great industry to work in, do you think?
0: Yeah, I I think it's a great sector because it, it's an opportunity for people to really make a change in the dynamics, the innovative, the innovativeness of what is actually going on now, but also what's needed. So, anyone considering a career change or, or starting their career, I think it's a great opportunity to be in in a big established industry. But lots—it's a dynamic one. Lots of things are happening. If you—if you have a, any sort of entrepreneurial streak in you, with some experience, you could probably raise capital to try something. It's—it's it's, it's a dynamic industry. The other reason I think it's a great industry to be a part of, because I I think fundamentally it's an important one. It's a global industry. It's a part of economic development. You could see it as economies develop, as societies develop. Understanding how you manage and transfer risk is a key part of the development of economies, the development of companies and societies. And the world is, I mean, maybe there are people who think the world is a less risky place, but when I look around, it just seems like... There's a lot of strange things that could happen and and things like maybe the old risks are going away. It's unlikely things are catching on fire the way they did when cities were made out of wood. But there are all sorts of new unusual risks, and we're in the middle of that as well. We're we're serving that, addressing that challenge. And the last thing is the people. I I think Kenneth talked about the apprenticeship model, which I think is absolutely true. There's some of that in every industry. There's a lot of it, I think, in insurance, and that's led to a series of relationships and networks. Mm-hmm. And I think people here, now we have all the frustrations of working in any large organization. I mean, any organization, if you get more than maybe two people involved, it suddenly it's going to have some dysfunctionality. And I think that's true everywhere, but I think there's just a lot of good people in the industry trying to do the right things globally. And so I think there are a lot of positive things. I, I'm not disagreeing with what Kenneth described. Our press, our PR is absolutely terrible. I mean, it's, I'm not certain exactly why. You're going to need another one of your coffeehouse discussions yeah. on how that exactly yeah. has happened. But somehow we've taken a lot of these positive attributes and, and maybe not done very much with it. But I, I think it's a great sector. I think it gives people a lot of opportunities. And I think you can have a very meaningful career yeah. um, in, in insurance.
1: Absolutely, and I think as we broaden our doors to those technology companies and those people, people from those insurtech businesses join the industry, and I, I think they are—I think they're better at banging on the drum and they are better at really promoting the industry. And it's it's often quite a surprise when they do join the industry. At, you know what a great place it is to be and what opportunities there are. So hopefully, with the, with the way the uh, the industry is evolving, that will that that will certainly help. Final question in the espresso round, Ken, if if there are any insurance executives out there in in the US, particularly at the moment, considering their next opportunity or move right now, what would your advice be to them?
2: Nick, I'll, I'll come back to kind of what we talked about in terms of, you know, we we uh, there's a breadth of, of activity. The most important thing to me is within, with insurance, there are so many different ways, there's so many different roads to the top of the hill. If you see yourself as fundamentally a salesperson, then maybe you want to think about what you're doing in distribution and broking. You think of us as a core analytics person, you know, do you want to be in underwriting or in data and analytics? You think of as a, as a service person. Think about what you wanted to be doing in claims, et cetera, right? So there's, it's, the, it's, the, it's an industry that has enormous degrees of freedom of how you actually get to the top of your game, right? And you can do it in so many different ways that to me, you know, the most important thing is, is finding your passion. We do that, right? I mean, I, I, I feel fairly comfortable to virtually anyone saying, you have a passion, we do that. You have to find where that, that actually plays, But again, this comes to my view of of a very optimistic sense of what the sectors and what we Mm -hmm. do together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's just a lot of flexibility and degrees of freedom which anyone Mm -hmm. can, uh, can, you can use to really get to the top of your game.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's it's great to encourage particularly starting out in the insurance industry to really try different parts of the insurance ecosystem, you know, try underwriting, you know, try broking and and things evolve and you will find your place and you will find that that home for yourself where you can really excel in. So I think I think that's great advice, Kenneth. Guys, we're we're almost at the end of our time together today. It's been fantastic to have you both on like to leave on a on a very positive note so would you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and if you could also advise of your contact details should anyone want to reach out to you after the show
0: if i could leave just one piece of advice uh, i mentioned just a minute ago about any large organization has some element of this functionality and and just complications. I guess my advice would be, you know, be the manager, be the leader that you would want yourself. Because I find when I talk to different people in different organizations, you know, it doesn't take very long before the conversation gets to, oh, some we got some kind of crazy things going on here, or some version of like, there's it's 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 complicated. We got all these things going on, and I, I think it's. You know, the enemy is us. Like, that's us. We're the people in these organizations. So that's what I would want to have people think about. Be the manager that you wanted when you were, you know, early in your career and be the, the leader of a whole group, you know, that you would want when you were in the middle of it and maybe talking about how complicated things are. And I, you asked for contact information at GuideWire. You could reach me at uh, P MANG, P M A N G at GuideWire.com and be happy to chat and follow up with anyone in the industry. I feel like we're all in this together and would be happy to follow up with anybody.
1: Yeah, we certainly are, Paul, we certainly are. Thank you for that. Kenneth?
2: Yeah, you know, Nick, I, I think to me, uh, my my piece of advice is we're in an industry, uh, and I, I absolutely am biased on this, but I believe we're in an industry that showcases very quickly the values and ethics of the people who work in it. You know, We fundamentally are about buffering people and businesses from risk, Helping people for when they're helping people when they're down. So it's an industry that's going to very quickly give you a fast view into the values and ethics of the people you're working with. And my biggest piece of advice would be: bet on those values and people who have them. Right? You can do lots of interesting things all over the industry. There are there are a set of people who are going to make the difference in terms of who you feel um, are actually doing the right thing in a sector that does a lot of good work for the for the world. And I recognize I might come across as a bit Pollyanna on this, but I but I really do have that view of the industry. And I do believe that there's a set of people here who view it as something that does add a, an enormous amount of social value. Bet on those people because they're going to be the ones who actually are also very likely to take the right view of you, your career, your success, how to be a part of that with you, right? But that's my... Mm-hmm. That would be my uh, piece of advice. Contact details, uh, my email, uh, it's it's kenneth.i.saldana. You've got that middle initial in there with I. But probably easier to find me on LinkedIn. Find me at the Accenture.com site. You can navigate to our insurance sector page. uh, And that's easy as well.
1: Great, great stuff. Thank you. Thank you both for that. Yeah, Kenneth, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you both on the insurance coffee house and to learn more about your careers, but also about the great work you're doing there at Accenture and, and at Guidewire, respectively, there. So thank you very much. It's been a great conversation.
2: Thanks so much, Nick. Thank, all good to talk thanks, to
1: you. Nick. Thank you, guys. To all the insurance and tech leaders out there, wherever you're listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in. And I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learnings from what Kenneth and Paul have had to say today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global Insure Tech Series. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.